0: Uh, we started last week with it, but we did have some back on the table for those who weren't here as we continue our study through the book of Proverbs. A little bit different look, though. The first nine chapters, uh, we kind of did a verse-by-verse. Um, a verse. We walked on through each chapter because the first nine chapters are not really Proverbs. Uh, they are just wise truths that we learn, but they're not um, short, if you would, pithy maxims uh, expressing truth uh, like we have found now as we started in chapter 10 of the book of Proverbs. Once we got to chapter 10, we've done a different study. The study has been more of subject matter because... Quite honestly, I, I, I've seen, I know of some people that have done a study in Proverbs and gone verse by verse, but it seems like you would just be repeating some of the same stuff over and over and over again at various places. And, uh, and really seems like the, the best way to approach Proverbs is to deal with the ones dealing with the same subject. So we're dealing with right now the peril of pride, the honor of humility. That's how the outline is supposed to be titled. I even left words off there. That's bad, isn't it? When the preacher even leaves words off of that. So, uh, but we want to look at that subject today. In fact, Roman number two in your outline, because we're looking first and part one is the section section dealing with pride, is we're looking at and we're going to deal with the peril of pride. So we actually are getting into the same word, all right? The peril of pride. Uh, Solomon speaks forcefully and strongly about the subject of pride. And we're going to kind of walk through the Proverbs now and see what dangers there are in this vice. Uh, And uh, chapter 11, I had you turn there because it's been kind of our, it was our theme verse, if you would. I don't know if you have a theme verse for pride. That's not good, is it? Uh, But uh, it's the verse we started out with to introduce the subject Verse 2 says, when pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. Now, we'll come back to that in a few moments, uh, but we're going to uh, look at, and we're going to kind of walk through Proverbs and see some of the perils of pride in those uh, some, what, we said 25 verses or so that we're going to look at. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 17 is the first one as we will learn then what uh, we need to know about pride. Does anyone remember, I said, with the definition of the term. Sometimes just giving a definition uh, helps us to get a, grasp, grasp the picture of what pride or what anything might happen to be uh, to give us a better understanding. And we did that last week. We looked at a couple of different verses, but we kind of gave you a picture of pride. So do you remember what we shared in the picture of pride? What are some of the, the definitions that are given that gives us a, an understanding of what pride is? Okay, to be high, raised up, or elevated. And so uh, that proud look, in fact, that's found in chapter 6, verse 17, what we'll look at in just a moment, a proud look, a lying tongue. Uh, this proud look is being high, to be raised up, to be elevated. So anytime pride is anytime someone elevates themselves. Anytime either in mind or in action, they lift up themselves. Now, uh, it can be done and it often is done in action. Someone might step on others. You know, sometimes they talk about going up the corporate ladder and they will step on people and they'll use people for that purposes. Oftentimes, that's pride. Someone lifting up themselves, if you would, to get to a higher position. Uh, But it can be done in mind so that someone might not have if you would, any uh, they might not be, if you would, stepping on people, they might not be uh, lifting up themselves visibly before others, but you can do it in heart. And we talked about the importance of having a a, a right heart. Uh, There was another word that uh, is translated and uh, proud. Uh, It's also translated with this word itself as uh, as well. But uh, do you remember this another one? To be arrogant, yes. To be arrogant, three times. There's a word that means arrogant. It's translated in pride in chapter eleven and verse two that we just read. And and arrogance is one exa- who exaggerates their own worth or importance, and often they do it in an overbearing manner. So to be arrogant, uh, and then the, uh, the the third one. All right. To be roomy. That that's kind of strange, isn't it? But actually, more than probably any other time, this word pride means to be roomy. So how did we describe that? Does anyone remember? Okay. All right. But, but how would we understand that in the terms of, of pride? It actually means to be wide or large. Sometimes, in fact, often in the book of Proverbs, it's uh, talking about a, a couple different types of proud heart. A roomy heart, All right? So, so what does it mean then, and and why would we? I, I mean, that that doesn't really help us much. Anyone, anyone, kind of, you not Boy, I didn't do a good job explaining it yesterday. Okay, someone has has plenty of room in their heart, but their room is for themselves, and I think that would be the best way to understand that word used in the book of Proverbs when it talks about pride, roomy. I've got a lot of space in my heart, but it's only for myself. And as long as you're talking about me, we're good, you know. And as long as you're thinking about me, we're good. And as long as you do what's best for me, we're good. Okay, dear, just remember that. All right, I you. <laughs> And I just got myself in trouble. All right. Then we also brought out, and this isn't a definition, but we helped and we, we mentioned, and I know we're reviewing this, but I, I kind of wanted to get us back. Uh, thinking this way, something outward or inward. Okay, pride isn't something always that I, I know. We we look at someone like, okay, come on, Donald Trump, and we know, man, that guy's proud. Uh, but but the truth is, anyone anyone can be, and uh, and so some people are puffed up outwardly, and you see it, and you know it. But some people are puffed up in, inwardly. Um, you know, some people are proud, and they they. Um, they get bent out of shape when someone doesn't recognize them. When someone doesn't maybe come up and say, "Oh, that was a beautiful special you sang," and they're hurt because no one noticed, no one said anything about what they did, no one noticed, no one praised their efforts, and and that person can be very well prou- proud. So both outwardly and inwardly, someone can be proud. Proud. All right. So. The peril pride in, in scripture, God tells us the danger and the evil of this vice. And and let's begin by looking again at chapter six and verse 17, where we see the words, a proud look. All right. Now, that doesn't tell us anything, but we have to kind of go back to the whole section. And verse 16 tells us what God thinks about it. So so then what is the peril pride? What's the real danger in pride? Oh, come on. What what is the danger? What is the evil of pride? Okay. is that God hates it. It's an abomination to him. You know, sometimes I have the opportunity, the blessed privilege of going shopping with my wife. Okay. You know I'm lying. Uh, So I have the blessed privilege of going shopping with my wife. Now, she may try something out and ask my opinion. Uh, And I may say, I like it. Looks good. Um, I, I might say, it looks okay if you like it. Um, but imagine if she came out, by the way, this doesn't happen because she just doesn't come out with those things. But, uh, you know, she'll, she'll say, I didn't like it. So anyway, but if she came out and said, oh, I hate that thing. It makes me sick. Now, I got to tell you, at least knowing my wife, I don't think she would buy it. Now, she may love it, it's never happened, so it's never happened, so we won't know if that's ever happened. But if I said that, uh, you know, she knows what I think about it. And if she knew what I thought about it, she wouldn't want that dress, that top. Uh, Right? Okay, even if she loved it herself, because she knows what I think about it, and being one who's concerned about, about our marriage and our relationship together, she wouldn't want to do something that I would say I hate. That makes sense, doesn't it? Say no. I don't know. It makes sense. Okay. God has made it clear that he absolutely detests. You can't use any stronger language in scripture. He detests pride. My friends, we need to remember that. And we need to keep this before us because so often this is one of those sins that we, first we don't talk about or if, if we do, we often justify it and we act like, well, that's not something that I struggle with. That's not a battle that I have. Um, and we need to understand that God absolutely, it makes God sick And the term there, uh, these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination unto him. And he starts with a proud look. And that's a a proud eye. Um, And God just hates it. He finds it disgusting. And it would be wise then to examine your life. And if you see it, deal severely with it. Say, hey, look, I don't want anything. I I don't want Just like my wife would say, I don't want to buy something that my husband absolutely hates. So we should not want to have something in our life that God absolutely hates. And, and just take a moment and, uh, and look, if you would, at chapter 8 and verse 13, because this kind of gives us what our attitude should be then. Someone read it for me, would you? 8.13? So the attitude of the psalmist was, okay, if this is how God feels about it, not the psalmist, the Solomon, 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 Psalmist. Of course, enough, right? No, Solomon thinks about it um, and very well probably his father taught him anyway. Um, but if this is what Solomon, uh, if God, Solomon would say, if this is what God thinks about it, then this is going to be my attitude towards this. So God hates it. Um, then notice another peril, if you would, in chapter eleven and verse two—the verse that we've uh, we started with in the beginning. When pride cometh, what does God say it's going to result in? Shame. Uh, John Gill, uh, a commentator, wrote these words. He said, "One follows the other, or rather, they keep pace together. As soon as one comes, the other comes." So. Uh, the picture is that these are like in tandem. When pride comes, then you can expect that eventually shame is going to come. So then uh, there really is, there's this uh, tandem picture from these two verses and the peril of pride. We got, first of all, the fact that God hates it, so we should hate it. But then we also have the, the realization that when pride is part of our lives, the result is going to be shame. There's going to come embarrassment and shame in your life if you if you participate in this. So, So I should hate it because God does. But if if I can't even get that far, then I should hate it and I should despise it and I should not want it in my life because the end result is not going to be something I like. So it brings, it results in shame. When someone lifts up themselves in mind or in outward actions, it inevitably will lead to shame. Uh, Maybe shame of heart because you don't receive praise or honor that you think you deserve or uh, shame without as you're put down or looked upon. Great illustration of that. In fact, Jesus dealt with this subject often in the New Testament. We use the example, remember, of Jesus when he talked about prayer and he talked about the Pharisee who came to the temple and prayed and then the, the publican who also prayed and one was answered and the other wasn't. And the reason why is because one was a proud prayer. Look at me. I'm glad I'm not like other men. And then the... Publican was answered because in humility he came to God in prayer. And Jesus often used that kind of these pictures. You know, in in Luke chapter 14 and verse 10, he illustrated uh, through going to a wedding the idea of how pride can bring shame. He said when you go to a, a feast, when you go to a wedding, when you go to an important event, um, they had in that day, and this is hard for us to understand, they had different rooms in different places that people would congregate. And it depended on your social standing where you would go. There, was, there were up, considered upper rooms, important, important people would go to those rooms. And then there were other rooms where, well, the low life. Okay, so all of us would be in, you know, this, this low room here. Okay, you, you got that. So the low life is there, and there were different places. And Jesus said, when you go to a feast, when you go to a wedding, when you go to one of these events, choose the lower room. And then he said, you do that, you're going to have praise of men if the the person in charge of this comes in and says, go up to an upper room. And then he said, you're going to be shamed, you're going to be embarrassed if they come in and you're in the upper room and they say, go down, there's someone better than you. You can imagine a guy walking out of the room like, oh, man, I've got to go to the lower room, you know. You just see him being really embarrassed, shamed, because he thought of himself more highly than he should have thought. He lifted himself up. And so uh, this is found and it's taught in the matter of scripture. It results in Shame. Um, uh, notice if you would as well, and this is kind of the other side, but if you look in chapter 11 and verse 2, he gives us another peril, if you would, of pride. When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but then he says something else. And, and this is, I know we'll, we'll talk about this when we get to the humility side, but he says, with the lowly is what? Wisdom. So then, um, let me let me ask you then what pride is going to keep you from. See, I I, th- I think we might miss this one. Okay, it'll keep you from wisdom. Um, one writer asks this question: To what is pride deaf? What what causes? What is pride deaf to counsel, wisdom, especially the wisdom that comes from God? His point is worth mentioning here, although we will see it on the other side um, when we talk about humility, uh, the fact is that when I'm proud, I am not going to have the wisdom that I need. It keeps me from true wisdom. When I'm pride, proud, when I'm pride, yes, when I'm proud, am I going to come to God and ask him for wisdom? If I don't ask, I can't expect it. If I ask, what did God say in the book of James? If any of you lack wisdom, let me ask God. But a proud person isn't going to do that. I don't need it. I'm good. And so it's going to keep you many times from the wisdom that you need in life. Uh, a pastor said this, I wasn't planning to watch anything on TV the other night except the news, but I got hooked on a program that followed. It was a special on the Titanic. There was an interview with one of the survivors. Now, she was a little girl that awful night, but by the time they did the interview, you know, she's, she's an old lady. And he didn't put it that way. But anyway, um, he said over 1,500 passengers died that night. As you probably know, he explained, the Titanic had been constructed with water-type compartments in their hull that were supposed to contain any flooding. She left England April of 1912, traveling according to some at speeds at, the, at a time that the Titanic should, have never, should never have been traveling. The speeds and at a time, excuse me, that it shouldn't have been traveling. But the Titanic was unsinkable until it hit an iceberg. Actually, it only scraped the iceberg. Most passengers never even knew about it, but the scrape had left a deep hole in the hull below the waterline. No one knew how much danger they were in, but within a relatively short time, the unsinkable ship sunk. The man who designed it went uh, went down with the ship. This survivor, he said, now old and gray, summed up in her lifetime reflections on the Titanic, she summed it all up in a few haunting words. He, she said this, it was a monument to human arrogance. That was it. She summed up the event. It was a monument to human arrogance. Human arrogance, he went on said, it sinks more than ships. On the fateful trip, human arrogance kept people away from wisdom, whether that was in how to operate the ship uh, pride that in some cases uh, what to do after it was clear the boat was sinking. Many of the the crafts that were designed to uh, handle and, and provide for people were not used properly. Um, human wisdom and he ended by saying this so it is in life arrogance often closes the mind and keeps people from making right decisions, doing the right thing and grasping truth. look, Look, people, we need to understand the the peril of pride. The great danger, the great evil of it. Go, go, if you would, to chapter 13 and verse 10 as we continue our walk through. And we see another peril. Why don't I want to be involved in? Why don't I want pride in my life? It's the source of something. What is it the source of? Okay, only by pride cometh contention. Uh, Look, if you would, and keep your place here because we're walking through, but you can't miss another verse that deals with the same subject. So turn to chapter 28, if you would, for a moment. And we see that Solomon brought this up a second time in a little different way. In verse 25 of chapter 28, he says, he that is of a proud heart, what is he going to do? He's going to stir up strife. So understand this, it's a source of contention and strife. Paul taught about a humble spirit in Philippians chapter 2, and he talks about Jesus Christ having the humble spirit, doesn't he? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. But you know, the verses before that are all dealing with a lowly mind. They're all dealing with having that humility of spirit and, and heart. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 says this, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. You follow that verse and you are going to solve a lot of contention and strife in your home, in the workplace, everywhere else. Pride is often the reason why contention takes place. Those who act in pride often cause fights and cause strife and often they're the reason why the strife remains unresolved. So that two people have a, have an, I, I, an out fight, an argument, a verbal discussion. Uh, they always call it a discussion. It's never now. They're never yelling at one another. Just, just talking to one another. And they, they're not speaking with one any, uh, another anymore because something was said that was highly offensive. And the offended person said something like this. Well, I'm not going to go to them and make it right. They offended me. Pride. It's keeping the contention going. They need to be the one to come. Hey, if they'll come, I'm willing to get it right. So what's what's standing in the way of these two people getting things right? Pride. Pride keeps it from being resolved. Pride often causes it in the first place. Now, let's be honest. Pride is not always at the center of every argument but it's very possible that when two are at odds, someone has an issue with pride, if not both. And you say, I, and I know what you want to say. Yeah, it's the other person. Yeah, I'm fine. But the truth is, you need to know when there's, when there's an argument afoot in your home, when there's something going on in your home, um, there needs to be some self-examination in this area of pride. Because contention is often part of uh, this this matter. Joseph Benson said this about chapter 28, verse 25. He said, the one who is high-minded, self-conceited, insolent, or ambitious stirreth up strife because he's constantly endeavoring to advance and please himself. He hates and opposes all that stands in his way. And because he despises other men, he's jealous of his own honor and impatient at the least slight affront or injury. But he that putteth his trust in the Lord, the person who's mean and vile in his own eyes, and therefore trusts not in himself but in God only, making God's will and not his own, nor his passions, honor or interest, the rule or end of his actions or pursuits. The one who's trusting God can therefore easily deny himself and yield to others, and those things prevent strife. And they preserve and promote peace. And he's right. He is right. So we have now four reasons why you shouldn't want pride to be part of your life at all. And yet, we still have to deal with it. And yet, the scriptures over and over deal with this subject, both New Testament and Old, and especially the book of Proverbs. The four things that should be a challenge to you to say, I don't want pride in my life. God hates it. Pride results in shame. Pride keeps you from wisdom. And pride is a source of contention and strife. And we're going to have opportunity to finish uh, this part of the list, uh, uh, Roman numeral two, the next time we meet, as God has much more to say about why you don't want pride to be part of your life. Not a subject you often hear hear preached on, but it's a subject that needs to be preached on. And it's one that Solomon dealt with and talked about uh, quite a bit. And God does in the word because it's a problem that all humans have. I don't care who you are, pride is an issue you'll battle with and God wants you to win the victory. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be people who deal with pride when it shows itself in our life, whether it's inwardly or whether it's it's something where we want to elevate ourselves outwardly and and lift up ourselves, I pray that you'd help us to understand how serious this this sin is and how evil it is, and may we deal with it seriously in our life so that we might be well-pleasing to the Lord and avoid avoid these great perils and dangers that are talked about in the book of Proverbs. we we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Lord bless you as you deal with pride in your life. You're dismissed. You can help us with tables, gentlemen, that would be greatly appreciated.